today, gentlemen, what's on the table? We're still in this series, Theological Implications and Social yes. Issues. What's the social issue that we're dealing with today? We're, we are well, dealing with secular political engagement. The church <laughs> and secular political engagement. That is the topic for this week. So wait a minute now. We know what's on the table but can somebody tell me who's at the table this oh, week? Oh, snap. Well, I know. Oh, wait, before, before, but before okay. we go there, I, I, mm. I want to I wanna say it's more than just secular, man. I, I don't know where this secular thing I remember when we were preparing for this, we just going straight out politics up in this place. No, here. we're not. Because we're doing we, we secular we want, politics this week. Y'all got to pay attention I want, to me. I want more than secular politics. No, because we talked next about, week, we, 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 we now got this to was try a segue. This, this was a segue into next week's program. It's going to be listen, on a different type of politics. Of all, so, yeah. Pass the fall, man. I got to get my referee whistle, man. I, Come on, man. You need to get, get, your, get your striped shirt. Get it on. I, I got to be in the middle. Man. Hey, but tell hey, us who's at the table, hey. man. Who's at the table? Who's at? Listen, okay. So the uh, who's at the table? We have none other. Um, um, Dr. Benjamin Baker. Um, Dr. Benjamin mm -hmm. Baker is a phenomenal. This brother is just a brain. He is a, a resource in and of himself. Um, when it comes to particularly black SDA history, um, when he comes on, you're going to see underneath his name. He is the founder of blacksdahistory.org. Um, if you have never been to that site, you want to check that out. But he is an author, seven different books. He's taught uh, yeah. all around the country, a guest speaker, very much sought after. Um, and I can guarantee you, you're going to be blessed by hearing him talk on this subject today. And I'm excited to see particularly the Adventist historical perspective when it comes um, to our engagement on secular politics. Wow. We also have with us, I'm looking forward for that, but we also have with us yeah. a, a very good friend of mine who is in politics. Mm. Uh, right. He's involved in politics. He's not, this is not a guy, uh, a person who just read about it. He is Mr. Politics. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give him that title, <laughs> but he has, he has been involved in politics, um, for his, you know, from a community, uh, agitator perspective, if you, uh -huh. if I, if I could use that and, um, and, and loves the Lord loves, I gave him an opportunity to preach at my church and uh, we became good friends. Um, when I was there up in the New York area. And so I am just excited to have Elder Derek Green with us and the church. All right. So uh, I, I'm anxious to bring, can I, can I bring him on? Can we bring him on? Hey, bring, bring him in. Bring them him on. in. I don't bring want that track on. to yes. play one more time. Ah, there we are. There we are. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. We are excited and happy to have you with us today. We uh, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join us here on the PRT today. Um, we just lost Dr. Baker. Um, I'm certain that he will be right back. There he goes. Um, but listen, uh, we did not read and, and give you, give our, our, our audience your entire bio, um, Elder Green, uh, Dr. Baker. We didn't tell them everything about you guys. So we're going to start with a word of prayer. And as soon as we finish prayer, we're going to give you an opportunity to greet our audience, just to share with them anything that you'd like them to know about where you are, what you're doing, what's, what's going on in your sphere at this time. So, um, Dr. Henry, would you open us up with a word of prayer, Doc? Let's pray, Lord. Again, you've blessed us with this platform so we could talk about relevant issues. We ask God that you guide the conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
All right. Well, we'll start with uh, with Elder Green, uh, Senior Advisor, Murphy for Governor 2021. Um, neither of you uh, are preachers. We usually give our preachers about 39.7 seconds to, to greet everybody because um, we know how we do. Um, but uh, Brother Green, Derek, it's good to see you, man. The time is yours. Just greet our audience, whatever you want to say, whoever you want to shout out, whatever you want to do, time is yours. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to be um, uh, on the Pastors Roundtable. Um, I, I know two of you, and I've just gotten to know Dr. Dion as well. Uh, but Dr. Wade, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to preach at Ephesus in the night in 1994. Wow. I think it was the first time. And uh, and Anselm, uh, Pastor Anselm, God bless you as well. We all went to school together, and uh, it's great to be on here. And it's great to be on here with uh, Dr. Baker, um, who uh, is doing transformational work in our church and reference to our history. God bless you. Amen. All right. Dr. Baker, time is yours, sir. It is also my pleasure to be with all of you. I know I know you all, and I followed your ministry, and the privilege is all mine. As my caption says, I am the author and founder of BlackSDAHistory.org. I want to encourage everyone to visit the website, not only the, the website, but the YouTube channel. It's Black SDA History on YouTube. And I want to, as usual, make an appeal and say that we can't do history without you. So I really want to encourage you to send feedback on the website, send materials, send photos, send letters, manuscripts, because these are this is the stuff uh, through which we do history. So we really want to encourage you to get involved. And thank you for your tremendous support in the past. Thank you. Wow. This is going to be a good topic. Well, Pastor Paul, man, we got to get right into it. Uh, you know, we have these two heavy, heavy hitters on and we really want to, you know, learn today uh, like we do every other show. So Pastor Paul, take us. Okay, let's get going. So gentlemen, you you have both been Adventists and around Adventists and and Christian folk for a long time. I'm I'm very curious to, to start us off today. When it comes to this topic of politics, what have you observed as being some of the attitudes that you see, um, the attitudes, the postures, the mindsets that, that the Adventist church currently um, exhibits towards participating in either national or local um, politics? Um, and, then, and then as a follow-up to that, how does this compare, the Adventist reaction or the Adventist mindset towards this, how does this compare to other Christian groups that you see, such as Catholics or, or, or evangelicals? Um, let's start with Derek and then, and then uh, Ben, if you want to follow up with that. Well, I have a, I have a unique perspective uh, because I work with, uh, in my current role, I was senior advisor to Governor Murphy for faith diversity, faith, urban, and regional growth. So I had an opportunity to, um, to really organize the faith community. Um, Seventh Adventist Church, uh, I believe now, has become much more engaged, um, and, and particularly here in New Jersey, um, very engaged in, in, in politics, public policy, uh, community outreach. Um, it hasn't always been that way, though. Um, I think that our teachings, particularly related to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that sort of our, the answers to the problems of our community don't really get involved in, 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 in politics. Adventists do vote, 
Uh, but don't get involved too much in politics and the mixture of church and state. You know, we're, we're taught about the mixture of church and state. We're taught about the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is great, which is awesome news and, and what we all believe in. But sometimes what that does is that that sort of gives us an excuse not to get involved in current issues. Um, and, and I've seen that. But I think that that world is changing. Um, it's changing a lot as, as people get more aware about what's happening in our community and the direct relationship between the political environment and what's happening in our community. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. Okay. Good stuff. Dr. Baker, what are you sensing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Well, if I can, if I can start by asking you all a question first, what is politics? <laughs> so I, I, if we were, if we, I think it, well, either one of you guys want to take a stab at it or you want me to go? Wait, no, you right, can, go ahead. You can start. I'll be, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Know, because because I was I was um, before you asked that question, Doctor Baker, I was saying I want to add that question in there because what is politics? Because you know we have heard um, at least growing up that we shouldn't get involved in politics, but then I look at the Bible and I see Daniel and I see Joseph and and so I'm kind of confused here. What is politics? Then we see you know people getting involved in this. Um, nature, this work, and yet we say we shouldn't get involved in it. And then I like what um, Elder Green uh, mentioned. You know, we we voted, we we've done some voting, but we don't, we weren't really involved as much as we are now. So the difference between uh, politics, voting, what part does voting play in politics? And even I know this is not a show for the church, but there's politics in the church. So is there, are there good politics, bad politics, or should we just get away from this word, period? Mm -hmm. I need to to say that um, my understanding of politics was not as stringent as that, but it was involving, when you involve with people, you're involved with politics. So it's, it's the interaction of people dealing with issues is considered politics. That's my basic um, ground floor um, definition of politics. What is politics? The interaction of people in issues. Yeah. Right. If I were going to give one that I, I would say um, that, that it, is, it, it, is, it is the process by which we establish policy. Um, it is the process of establishing or developing policy um, that governs organizations governs people as 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 uh, pastor wade was saying so that's um that's without actually looking up and seeing what webster and whoever else uh, how defines right. that that's just our kind of pedestrian answers to your right. question and now mr guest we're going to put the question back to you well, sir well, <laughs> let, let, well let, let me just say this i would just say is the way people live some mechanism concepts on how people live you know and that's politics to me in just simple terms for me. Yeah, if, if, if I could get a little bit philosophical, the, the Western mindset has often been criticized for setting up false dichotomies. Mm. There mm. is the religious, there's the secular, there is the political and whatever the, mm. the inverse of that would be, when in reality, these bifurcations are all a chimera they're all artificial because they simply do not exist. I think that everything is political. Come on. Every single thing that we do is an act of politics. So when we talk about the church not being engaged in politics, if we mean, let's say, electoral politics, 
I think that even then not being engaged is being engaged in politics. Mm. Hmm. Wow. And so I think that everything would be political. So if you ask how the church has been involved in politics, I mean, I, I could give a, a stock answer. Let's say that we've been very narcissistic in our, polit in our political involvement because mm. we get very involved when it has to do with, let's say, church and state or issues that we think affect us. And we could, if, if we wanted to, we could characterize it by saying that we tend to stay out when we when we consider something to be uh, not directly pertaining to us. But I, I've always said that throughout Adventist history, there is a, let's say, a sub-thread, and that is the Black Adventist Church, hmm. which has never had the luxury of not being involved in politics. What? Mm. I think I think blacks have always been communal and and involved in their communities uh, because politics, quote unquote, affects them so closely in, in their communities. And so if you look at the history of black Adventism, been involved in employing people in our churches, we've always been involved in lobbying uh, candidates. Uh, for for certain community, let's say, benefits uh, in our churches. We have been involved in protesting, mm -hmm. definitely in our churches. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been involved in community outreach and philanthropy mm -hmm. in our churches, zoning laws, where streets are placed. You name it, the Black Adventist Church has been involved in it. Now, there has often been, I'm thinking especially in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, a word from on high, and I'm speaking of, let's say, the, the, the white administrators of the General Conference, to encourage us to not get involved in politics. But there has always been a subversive element, let's say, in the 1960s, when Oka College students were told, you, you are forbidden to be involved in protests. Hmm. But inevitably, there have always been, I mean, and, and this, is, this is the consistent eyewitness testimony of Black Adventists, we've always been involved. If it's one-off, if it's individuals, if it's individual ministers, if it's churches, we've always been involved. And then you see things like Oakwood College inviting Martin Luther King Jr. to come speak there when nowhere else in Huntsville would have him. Wow. So the, 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 the church, you know, from on high are forbidding us to get involved in the civil rights, but we have Martin Luther King Jr speaking at Oakwood. Mm -hmm. And so there's always been a very rich involvement. You just have to find it and you just have to look for it. So the black mm -hmm. church has never had the luxury of not being involved in politics. Wow. So, so then in Adventism, then as far as the first part of that question, it, it sounds like what we're saying is that the Adventist perspective has not been monolithic and, and, and it's been fairly fickle. Well, sometimes we will, we'll jump in and feel that it's okay. And other times we won't. Um, yes, so and and the Adventist perspective has been dominated, I think, by our fundamentalist and conservative turn. Let's okay. say in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I'm saying 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, the Arna Bontemps, the great poet who was once an Adventist, he taught at Harlem Academy. He went to Oakwood. He said it best, I think, when he said that Adventists started off right in terms of with race and with politics. But then there was a downward slide, and that downward slide is came with organization, with the politics of respectability. Mm. So the politics of respectability says that now we are organized, we want political benefits from the government, 
We want to be acknowledged. We want Victorian respectability. And from there, we started, we stopped speaking out. Uh, mm -hmm. We divested ourselves of our radical stance. And mm -hmm. you can trace how it went downhill because with the rise of conservatism and fundamentalism, listen to this, listen to this. The civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s was equated with leftism and communism and Marxism. Oh, that sounds familiar. As it still is. <laughs> as it still is. So they said, we uh, ch check out this new good book called Jesus and John Wayne. Yes. And it's on a history yeah. of the fundamentalists. Nothing, nothing is new here. So yeah. as that association became, it's like, okay, well, this is, this is radical. This is Marxist. So stay away from this. So our history, I think, has basically been a, a, a decline, if you will, into respectability. We were acknowledged by the evangelical Christians. We said we're now apart. So it, it, it's this shedding, this, this continual mm -hmm. shedding of all radicalism to where now, you know, we're respectable, uh, we're acknowledged by the government. And so our political voice is, is almost totally stymied. Wow. So, mm -hmm. so then let, let's, let, let's tackle, if we can, that the second part of, of that question, um, which, which was how, how does Adventist engagement and involvement in, in what we understand as secular politics, how does that compare to the involvement that we see from other faith groups within Christianity, such as Catholics and evangelicals? You know, um, sorry, sorry, please. No, go ahead, Doc Baker. Okay, I, I, I would say that we need to, we need to define some terms here. If we're talking, let's say, Pastor Wade, if we're talking Trinidad and Tobago, if we're talking Jamaica, look at Jamaica right now. <laughs> the mm -hmm. top two politicians are Adventists. Yep. Right? Yeah. The prime minister yep. and lieutenant governor, is, is that correct? Patrick Allen and I'm um, Andrew right. Holness? That's mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about Africa. Let's not talk about other Caribbean islands. We are very much directly involved in electoral politics. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. um, even, even in America, we can go there. If you want to talk about people like Barry Black and Ben Carson. And so we can't go off old narratives. Okay. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think that we need to define exactly what we're talking about because I think our, 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 our brothers and sisters in the African diaspora, okay. you know, in the Caribbean and Central America, South America, Africa, we don't have a problem in getting, in, getting involved in electoral politics there. Great. Okay. So, so, so we let's, may need let's, to define a little bit. Let me also um, add about the other comparing with other churches. There, there, we are lacking. Um, we are lacking um, in our involvement today here in in America, um, as far as the response to to issues related to the community um, and the SDA response, the organizational structure around that. Um, as uh, in, in comparison to say the AME African Methodist Episcopal Church, Catholic Church, the A the AME Church, for example, um, their their um, history is based on protest. Their foundation is based on protest. Um, is it's based on revolution. Mm -hmm. um, the Catholic Church has been involved um, in politics um, uh, for 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 centuries. Um, and they have, and they have, they hold a very powerful, powerful stick, and they are well organized. Um, AME Church is well organized as well. It's very, it's organized very similar to 
the the Adventist Church. the mm-hmm. the issue we, The issue is is that the Adventist Church has really a, a number of heads. You have the the General Conference, um, which is very Eurocentric, um, and you have the regional regional conferences, which are supposed to be the Black conferences. The Black conferences came out of a struggle, came out of a revolution. Um, and, and in my view, in my view is not as active and organized around issues, uh, pertaining to, um, pertaining to, uh, very important issues of our day. The, for example, when it comes to political power within governmental structures, uh, there are very few, there are very few elected officials, there are very few, um, governors, senators, uh, uh, council people, uh, mayors that are going to think of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a powerful political block. They just don't. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because I had, and I'm, I'm not talking about sort of a philosophical, I'm talking about a real life, uh, I see it every day. Um, if, if I were not in government and exposing elected officials to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they would not know who the church was. Um, uh, I know I know churches that are in cities um, that that leaders have never been to, uh, have never been to, um, and it is it is often. But if you if you talk about the Catholic Church, the the art the the, the archbishop or the cardinal, um, all of the elected officials go and talk to them. Catholic Charities is a very powerful organization that gets millions of dollars of funding. Um, I mean, from from every state that they are in. The AME church, uh, governors and senators and mayors and council people go talk to the bishop. Um, But as far as Adventist church is concerned, the way that we are organized, A, a lot of people don't know who we are, um, and and B, uh, they really don't have a connection. All they know is, is that uh, we go to church on Saturday, and 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 in my view, and in my view, uh, that is because we are not engaged in what I believe from a from a um, community organizing standpoint that we're not engaged in what we're supposed to be doing. Our schools, our schools mm-hmm. are are some of the greatest schools around, uh, but people don't know about them. Um, wow. uh, we, 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 we talk about healthy eating. People care about how their kids are educated. They care about their health. We talk about our, our, our health message, but we don't have restaurants. Mercy. We don't have, when I, when I want to get a good vegetarian meal, I go to the black Hebrews. Um, and so we, we, mm. in hospitals, hospitals, we, we, you know, in New Jersey, uh, the largest hospital center the, the two largest hospital groups are owned by Jews and owned by Catholics, but why not Adventists? So uh, some of the three major issues of our day, education, healthcare, um, um, well, two, education and healthcare, I believe we're not, we're not taking advantage of what people care about. Okay. Wow. I, I want to I put out there before we go on to the next one, why I'm asking mm-hmm. this question, particularly the last half of that question. In, in the last election, um, last two elections, over 80% of evangelicals voted 
for Donald Trump. When, when we look at Christianity and what we understand Christianity is supposed to be and what it's supposed to stand for, family values, morals, all of those things, it was very difficult for the country to reconcile how this very ultra-conservative Christianity gets together and votes for somebody as vulgar and as with the, you know, as a Donald Trump. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe that 82% of evangelicals just independently on their own make a decision that we're going to vote for Donald Trump. There was, and most of us that have watched that, there was very intentional groundwork going on within the, not just individuals or individual churches, but mainstream evangelical organisms and, and structures moved intentionally to make that happen. And as I'm comparing and contrasting that to Adventism, we have not taken on that kind of a political engagement and involvement. And yet when we look at the results of what other, not just the results, but the results and the intentions by which these other Christian groups engage in the political... Uh, 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. Aslam, you you are spot on. And let me just say this. There's something called race identity politics. Uh-huh. Okay? It's race identity politics. And and because because you you have to wonder, a man if if I as a if I had um five children by four different women and and I had uh done the things that Donald Trump did uh, and conservative, conservative. If 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 I had uh, been accused of of groping and touching women, um, there's no way I would be elected president of the United States. There's no way uh, because because they would automatically discount me. However, when you have race identity politics and race mm-hmm. identity and race identity politics is something that the Republican Party are experts at. They use code words where back in the day they could they could come out uh, come out right outright and say certain things. But what we learned it was called the southern strategy under mm-hmm. Richard Nixon. Called the southern strategy and instead of talking about um uh black people specifically you you talk to white people and you say you change the word to taxes. You say you you, mm. you you change the word to crime. Come right? on, that means you, you, you're talking to a white base. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. We just experienced this three days ago in New Jersey um, in the governor's race. Uh, we just experienced my my uh, uh, the guy who I work for, Governor Murphy in New Jersey, narrowly won. And and they and they're gonna they're gonna challenge it, but we narrowly won because of race identity politics. Now, what happened was the Republicans thought that they were going to be able to get away with that race identity politics using code words, talking taxes and crime instead of talking about black people outright. They use these code words, but we organize people of faith. We organize. Mm. 
because because we organize people of faith around what we call the progressive coalition led by black people right we organize the ame church we organize the adventist church we organize the baptist church and when you when we can fight that because when they organize around race identity politics we can also organize around issues that poor white people um, uh, care about, that black people care about, that women, that the LGBTQ community care about, and we can have a progressive agenda and fight race identity politics, which is real. Wow. wow. <laughs> Listen, we, I, man, I think we, we, we just, it seems like we're jumping right in this thing and we have a, a lot of questions left. <laughs> man. <laughs> And, and, and I like this conversation because um, it's opening up our eyes to the situation at hand and that, you know, being involved intimately in politics, um, I, you know, I, I believe we're called to do it because we're called to be a light, right, to the world. And, and my question is, when I look at the beginnings of Adventism, you know, here in, in America, and I see people like Ellen White, who was um, very, very intimately involved, speaking at a Methodist church, right, um, against this uh, temperate laws, these laws against, um, you know, alcohol. You have alcohol, and of course, the women were really for that um, because they saw the tremendous impact that alcohol had on the family. Right, it would break up families. When I when I looked at it this week, and I was looking at um, the president of the general conference um, who mentioned that, listen, we got to vote. Uh, you know, <laughs> he was strong with this. He said, listen, we got, you got to go out, you got to vote. And if you're silent, this is a, a high crime in I heaven. I believe it was Butler that said that, right? So I see the beginning of, of how we got started and, and the beginnings of the church. But then I'm reading, you know, when I read the book by Dr. Rock, right, and it's talking about the stance of the church as it relates to um, so, you know, societal issues. And he even goes to, you know, what was happening in Germany and how the church was silent against the Holocaust. And I see a change taking place as I'm reading the history. And so my question uh, to, to you all, and, and we'll start with Dr. Baker, what caused this change? Um, what what theological uh, framework caused this change to now where we see people kind of advocating not to get involved? And, and we do see some bright spots, but just here in America, I think you mentioned different countries and how we're really involved, but but what, what caused this, was there a theological uh, change or uh, what, what posture um, that in our view of theology took place where we've kind of changed in a way to avoid being involved intimately in politics? Yes, very good question. Very good question. And if I could just comment on something that Elder Green said that, I, that I, I've often grappled with because as a historian, I have been very envious of the AME Church. Wow. Because their record of activism, radical politics, yes. even with the Underground Railroad abolitionism is stellar. Now, some some differences between the Adventist church and the AME church, if, if we can do that. The AME church was 
founded, was established on protest. That's right. It was established as we refused to buckle under white supremacy. You know the famous story when uh, Richard, A Richard Allen and Absalom Jones were, were praying uh, in the church and the white folks said, you know, you have to get up. This is in the middle of the church. Uh, excuse me, in the middle of the prayer. The white deacon said, you have to get up and leave and go to the balcony, go to the Negro section. And this is this is during the prayer. And Absalom Jones said, hey, can you just wait till the prayer is over? And they said, no, you got to get up now. You know, you got to you got to desegregate now. OK, so, of course, later the AME Church formed, what, 18, 1814 to 1816 in Philadelphia. And the pastors on the line, check this out, in the original charter of the AME Church, it was almost totally social justice. Yes. Everything. It was about, I mean, look at, look at the original charter. Mercy. You can, you can Google it. It's on, it's on, you know, Google deemed it and said, this is a historically valuable document. So you can download it for free, the PDF, the historical document, social justice, abolitionism, community uplift, fighting white supremacy is in the original charter. Yes. Now what the AME church would do is that when members come in, when members come in, they would radicalize them before they baptize them. Mm. Okay? So, and, and, and I'm saying radicalize in the best way, in the most Christ-like way. So before you join this church, this is our creed. This is what you must agree to. And it was full of, let's say, Joel's language, Amos's language, Isaiah's mm. language in the Old Testament, yeah. of letting righteousness flow down like a stream, you know, a mighty... So it was, it was steeped in social justice. So you understand that this is a part of your Christianity. So to mm. join this church, <laughs> you must abide by this creed and live by these principles. And so I think that very founding in protest, in a protest against white supremacy, and from the very start, they said, this is our charter, our, 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 in, 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 in our DNA, in our placenta by which we were birthed is political activism. I think that that's some that's that's something that we could have never had because as the young people say, we just weren't built that way. Mm. Okay, we were born a little different. You know, we weren't now. Let me give the 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 Adventist analog. Okay, let, let me give the Adventist analog. Adventist arose and I have to give a shout out to my brother Kevin Burton, who's doing this dissertation on Millerism and abolitionism, amazing, amazing stuff. But Adventists were essentially birthed in the come outer movement. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we all know the come outer movement because it's Revelation 14, 8, Revelation 18, what is it for? Come out of her, my people. Mm -hmm. So this is a movement in which all sorts of people in the early 1840s were saying, we are leaving all of these organizations because they are Babylon. And one of the main proofs that they were Babylon is what? Revelation 18, the souls of men. Hmm. They said any organization that is linked with slavery, we're coming out. Wow. This is we're coming out of. This is why Adventists were so slow to organize. Uh-huh. Um, only in 1860 did they take the name Seventh-day Adventists. Then in 1863 was their official organization. I I I, I theorize because of issues with the with the war over slavery, which is the Civil War. Okay, we were founded right in the middle of the Civil War. Okay, so we are, the early Adventists were all come-outers, and they said, we have to start our own thing because 
everything else is Babylon, primarily, first of all, of course, because they rejected the, the, you know, the Millerite message, but also because of their ties with slavery. Ellen White would, all, would, would later say, I condemn the South for practicing and perpetrating slavery and the North from greatly profiting from it yeah. and acting, acting righteous, acting self-righteous, but being hypocritical to its core. So Adventism really arose from a protest of Babylonian slavery. And they said, we are so scared to reproduce, to be a simulacrum of what we came from, that we're not going to organize. Because we know the capitulation that, 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 that is fomented by organizing. So it took them that long to organize. So to answer, to answer the good pastor's questions, I would say that our our softening, our selling out, started with organization. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> that, that sounds crazy to say, but that's that's when it started. Because once you organize, things become bureaucratized, mm -hmm. things become standard. I mean, necessarily, things become respectable because you know, 1863, we need to apply with the government to get pacifist status. You, you, you know, in the in the Civil War. Now, of course. Kevin Burton has debunked that because Kevin Burton has now shown that Adventist young men fought in the Union Army at the same rate as secular young men. Wow. Okay, so we were still fighting. We were still fighting in the Civil War. But in order to register our properties, in order to get tax write-offs with the government, in order for all of these things, we must organize. So with, organi with organization comes respectability, comes acceptance, and comes conformity and that is the beginning of the long Adventist capitulation dr baker is spot on um and, le and let let me just dive a little bit more into that uh, when when our churches were first started our black churches for example ephesus in new york um berean seventh-day Adventist church in atlanta uh, by the way, um, the oldest, the oldest private African American private school in Atlanta is the Seventh Seventh Adventist School in Atlanta, GAAA, the oldest. When you when you talk when when Dr. Baker talks about organize the the way that we are organized and the DNA of who we are, that is the issue. We we have been fighting racism in our church um, since the very beginning which is why our regional conferences began. Our regional conferences began because, because people like W.W. Fordham could not eat in the same cafeteria in the general conference mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as his white count. This happened within our church. Mm -hmm. um, we, then be, we then became organized. The regional conferences were organized as the AME church was organized as a protest. And what happened was in that organizing, uh, there's, a, there's a control mechanism and it's called money. <laughs> my, 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 my. It's called money. And so when you have, when you, when you have a structure, when you have structures that are not built around social justice, but rather structures that are built around upward mobility. Wow. 
so you become a pastor and then after a certain time you think okay i need to go to the conference because i got to go to the conference because that's so that's upward mobility and they're only about about 10 jobs so you got a lot of people kind of politicizing politicking to get to those jobs i'm sorry dr wade i'm sorry i'm sorry you know i apologize (laughs) Hey. Forgive me, forgive me, y'all. But the point is, is I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to not get invited back. But, but the the, the, the truth, speak the truth. The whole notion of how we are, how we are organized, is is very important because you got conferences, you got unions, and then if you really do a great job, or if you really sell out, you can go to you can go to the general conference and 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 get a you know a nice little position there, and and you'll be good. (laughs) Rather, <laughs> rather, rather, what, what, how we should, our DNA, and I, I strongly believe that as the remnant church, um, if, if we're not busy addressing the needs of our people, uh, and, and I'm just talking about getting them baptized, I'm talking about feeding them. Hmm. I'm talking about clothing them. I'm mm-hmm. talking about giving them job training. That's theology. I'm, I'm, yes, yes, and 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 if in, in my view, in my view, that's not the focus in our in our in our church. It should be more. That's why the that's why um, that's why the Black Lives Matter movement um, is it, it, so it's so powerful, and because it's making us it's making every um, every organization. Um, every organizational structure rethink, including our own church. Um, and so I just, I just think that the, the DNA of those other, even the AME Zion church, uh, Dr. Baker, the, the AME Zion church, which is very similar to the AME church. They, they look, look at, look at the name African Methodist, the word African is first. Our name is seventh day Adventist, meaning that our our brand is the sabbath and the second coming the sabbath and the second coming it's not the brand of 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 uh, of culture and race it's more the brand of what what we aspire and so let me just say one more thing for for example the way that we talk about the way that we talk about the time of trouble is 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 very i think culturally and racially biased and it's also very classist because when we talk about going to the mountains how in the world is a single mother of three going to go flee to the mountains <laughs> that lives in newark uh, how, if she lives in newark or if she lives in newark and she has three children how is she going to flee to the mountains and so we we sometimes use our our message as an excuse not to be involved in our politics and in our policies. Now, 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 oh, now real, quick, real, 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 real quick, if I can push back a little bit on Dr. Green, if I can push back a little bit on Dr. Green, and, and by the way, Dr. Green, I've been talking to some Adventists now who, who say that they have a hard time <laughs> implementing Ellen White's counsel to move to the country uh, because of the racism there. Wow. So I mean, yeah. that's, that's like another <laughs> piece of, that. and I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's actually a real thing. I went to West Virginia. I went to West Virginia <laughs> years ago looking for some land because I said, well, maybe this is a good spot to go to during that time, right? 
And then I and then I went to West Virginia and I saw who was there. I said, I'll take my chances in the city. I'll take my chances in the hood. I'm, Listen, I'm, I'm a in the hood. Yes, yes. I just wanted to give Dr. Green a <laughs> pushback because he said that AME and AME Zion, they they do indeed have African in their name, and they were they were very intentional about that. And this is this is really a good debate to have with black Christians. Are you a Christian first or are you black first? Mm. Uh, many mm. say that, well, I was born black, but Christianity is an identity I I accepted, I converted to. Yeah, I was born so again. that's a really good conversation. And I think that that's actually a fruitful conversation. But I believe, Dr. Green, that there is liberation inherent in our name. Okay, consider the Seventh-day Sabbath. To stop work was radical, okay? To not work on a certain day was a was a an act of protest at least initially when we took the name in fact what what major problem did early adventists have with slavery black captives could not keep the sabbath mm, wow okay because wow. the system, so 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 acceptance of the seventh day sabbath was seen as a liberating act in and of itself in fact Listen to E.E. E. Cleveland. I have a video up on my Black SDA History YouTube. E.E. E. Cleveland positions the Sabbath as a, 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 a the, the Sunday sacredness as a tool of white supremacy. Mm. Okay? He said, Black people, who got you worshiping on Sunday? He said, we were worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath. He said, Sunday sacredness is white supremacy. And when you do a theological reading of... The book of Daniel, they will think to change times and laws. That passage is an indictment of white supremacy. <laughs> okay? Look at it as that. We're kind of looking at it through like a, let's say a James Cone, a James Cone uh, uh, lens. Okay? Daniel, Daniel through James Cone's lens. Now, early Adventists had a, let's say, a, a, a suite of research. It started with Jay and Andrews. Ellen White picked it up. Other Adventists picked it up, and that is Abyssinia, okay, Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. They were seven-day Sabbath keepers. Mm -hmm. Ellen White said when all of Europe was in darkness, mm -hmm. there is an entire mm -hmm. African nation that is keeping the seven-day Sabbath. Now, yes, I'm starting to theorize Ellen White's conception of Roman supremacy as papal supremacy as, as white supremacy. So when mm. she talks about Abyssinia and how Rome was trying to cajole and seduce uh, Ethiopia to stop working, uh, to, to, you know, to stop worshiping on the seven-day Sabbath and accept the false Sunday, and Abyssinia refused, as we know, it has never been colonized. I want to posit, Dr. Green, that the seventh day in our name is inherently African and inherently liberated. <laughs> I, I further wow. want to posit that Blacks have always seen the Advent. The Advent in our name is Adventist. That Blacks have always seen the Advent as a liberating doctrine. Christ would come to remediate what the American political system failed to do for Black people and has never done for Black people. And that is complete mm. freedom with let's say, uh, 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 justice in his train for the white oppressive system. 
Adventists and, and early Millerites, they were always saying, they, they, they always had this. And that's one of the things that attracted so many blacks to Millerism, that when Christ came, he was going to judge, condemn, and place in hell white slave masters and everyone who was aiding and abetting the institution of slavery. Wow. Okay, so wow. we have Dr. Green, so many black people, so many woke black people, so many black <laughs> activists embraced the near second coming. Yeah. Sojourner Truth, William Still, the father of Underground Railroad, William Still was a Millerite well into the 1870s until his death. Samuel Ringold Ward, William Watkins, John W. Lewis, Francis E.W. Harper, all of these black freedom fighters embraced embraced the second coming. Even Frederick Douglass in My Bondage and My Freedom with the Leonid meteor shower in 1833. He said, when the stars fell, mm. I saw it as a harbinger of the second coming of Christ Mercy. to come deliver me from this American oppression. And so I'm positing that our name is as liberating as AME and AME Zion. Hold on, Ben. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my Lord, my Mercy. Lord. Mercy. Oh, that, um, that is, that is, uh, Dr. Ben is, is, is all evening has been spot on. Wow. And I, and I, I concur with that. I think the issue that I have is it can be in the name, but if you don't teach it, right. Yeah. People then nobody know. knows. Yeah. Yeah. The, the difference, the difference is, is that the AME church, Amy Zion church, they teach it. It's a part of their DNA. The African is a part of their DNA. I agree with you about the, um, about the, uh, the Sabbath, uh, being, uh, liberating. I also don't want to forget. I also don't want to forget about um, the the third of the of the Africans that were brought to America were Muslim, and I don't want to forget about our Muslim brothers and sisters as well, who I work very closely with. Um, but but the but the liberating doctrine of our church, in my view, has been replaced by the corporate doctrine of our church, which is one of the reasons why our church does not want to ordain women, uh, because if you if you um, if you ordain, the AME Church um, has had women bishops uh, for years. Bishop Vashti McKenzie, who was a mentor of mine, um, and um, and others as well. We one of the reasons is because Dr. Ben, you talked earlier about the structure. It is the corporate structure of our church that has replaced the, in my view, the prophetic uh, structure, uh, the liberating structure of our church when Ephesus was founded in the early 1900s uh, at the turn of the century, and they addressed issues of housing um, and education. Um, when at the same time, the Niagara Movement was formed uh, during that time to address um, the great migration from the South to the North. Um, and these are the issues that exist today. When I, when I wake up every day and go into the governor's office, I address issues dealing with housing and, 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 and the racial disparities in healthcare, the racial disparities in, in public education and all, and all those things. And in, and in my view, I would like to see the church, uh, more the Seventh-day Adventist church more engaged. Um, I, 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 I bring up Pine Forge, the Allegheny East Conference, 
with this beautiful sprawling 300 acres that they own. Um, and, and I bring up uh, the fact that they have all the acreage, they have dormitories. Mm. Well, well, why don't we do programs in the summer where we bring kids? By the way, they can make money off of it as well. That where they bring kids to those camps and, and expose them uh, to the beauty and to the, the, the rich history and culture of an underground railroad location. Wow. Uh, in, wow. Instead, wow. In, instead, we build an $8 million new conference office building with long conference table, but then we say Jesus Christ is coming soon. That's not a liberating culture. That's a corporate culture. I love this wow. show. Real quick, real quick. I, I, I think that Ellen White never could have been a visionary. In the, she never could have been a prophet in the organized church. Mm. She could only be a prophet before organization happened. Mm. Mm. Wow. Or she would have wow. got sent to Australia. Oh, wait, let me stop. Let me, let me. <laughs> that was the organized, that was in the organized church. Well, didn't she get, didn't she get sent to Australia because they did not like the things that she was saying. And then when she went to Australia, she saw what the colonizers were doing to the Aboriginal people and she spoke out against it there. So wherever that message is, wherever you are, speak Come to on. the and speak about justice. Yeah, she, she got sent to Australia right about the same time she was speaking up for paying black pastors the same as white pastors. That's right about the time that she got wow. sent to, to Australia. Wow, wow. Mercy. So, so gentlemen, gentlemen, you, you were sharing about the way that the church was shaped and formed in terms mm -hmm. of the protest and 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 the the connection to 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 what was happening in the community, whereas today um, I just came through um, ministry where there are those today who are thinking we don't need a black conference or a white conference, we don't need um, all this segregation going on. Yet still, based on what I heard today, there seems to be a need for. Um, not the segregation piece, but the what we stand for in the segregation piece, in the segregated piece of our organization. What what would you say to those young and it's the young ones that are that haven't gone through the struggle, that have not understood the struggle, that are that are crying for the fact that we do not need black conferences, what or or, or we don't need this separation? What would you? from a historical and even a political sense, what would you say to those folks today? I would say that, and you pastors are really on the ground, sort of the ground level. I, I don't think that young people these days are sold on organization at all, just, just any organization. I mean, if Jesus doesn't come for 50 years, will, <laughs> will this generation of young people be tithe payers? Will they be interested in their local conferences, unions, you know, divisions. I don't, I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're spiritual, not religious. Mm. So, you know I mean? I'm not, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing them being sold on organization period. Uh, mm. But to answer your question, I think that everything is kind of upside down and, and in many ways it's upside down in a good way because once again, we have a black NAD president and what, four out of the 12 union, nine unions have black presidents. Uh, the 
the conference that I'm right next to right now has Pastor Charles Tapp as the president of the conference. And in regional conferences, we have large pop, large memberships of Korean and Asians and Hispanics. And in the white conferences, we have large member, a large membership of Caribbean and African Adventists and Hispanics and Asians. So, you know, there is kind of, but never, I, I, I will never say that regional conferences should be disbanded. No way. I think that's racist. I'm against that. I'm 100% for regional conferences. I'm a product of regional conferences. I was born in a regional conference. I'm never buying that regional conferences should be dissolved or demolished in any way. No, never. I'm totally against that. I'm always pro-regional conferences. So, I mean, that's where I stand. I couldn't agree with Dr. Baker more. Um, let me, but let me also say um, that regional conferences have a responsibility and they have a responsibility not to mirror their oppressor. And uh, they have a responsibility to, to really maximize and understand the times we're living in and to be relevant. Yes. When you, you, my, my conference is Allegheny East. I live in Jersey. Um, and, um, uh, and before that, we lived in Maryland. When you have Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Chester, Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Delaware, Richmond, Virginia, Newark, New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, Jersey City, New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey, all in your conference, you, you got work to do. You have work to do. And the work is not... The work is not to plan camp meeting every year. The, the, the work is to look at the social and economic conditions of people that you want to baptize, that you want to, that you want to save, that you say that you want to save. And if you want to save these individuals, Jesus Christ did not come to Jesus Christ healed first. He fed first. By the way, Jesus Christ was very political. Matter of fact, his death, our, which is based, which is the foundation of our salvation, was a political assassination. Jesus the Christ was a political threat. Mm, to, to, it was a political assassination. It was, it was king. It was ex. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was that. And and when I when I have a conversation with my Muslim brothers, I always talk about him as that. You know, okay, well let's let's talk about him as a great man. Well, that great man was assassinated. And he was assassinated because he was addressing the least of these. The least of these. And, <laughs> and don't, don't get me started, Ashwin, because you know, I preach at I preach at Sunday churches a lot. <laughs> so, 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 in my view, and I see Sister Tiffany Llewellyn on the line. She is, she's, I call her one of our Harriet Tubmans of our church. This because is she's Tiffany. Speaking, she's speaking to power. And, and when, when we talk about re, uh, the, the regional churches, we got work to do in these cities in saving lives. Yeah. We, 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 we have to save these lives. I work with individuals. I work with individuals who, who, the median income in Atlantic City, New Jersey, is nineteen to twenty thousand dollars per year wow. for a family. 
right? That means they're going to need some help. They're going to need some help. And I want to big up our churches in New Jersey, our SDA churches with Dr. Stoddard and Dr. Johnson and, and Trey Hayden, Dr. Hayden, and all these folks who are engaged. But in order for us to be relevant, it's not just about organizing at Pine Forge. It's about organizing in our neighborhoods and in our cities. Ah, wow. Perfect. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, we, 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 our, our time is, is, is almost wow. gone. And I know that some of the other political pipe, pipe type questions, you know, we had a question on here, Dr. Wade, our pastor Wade about, um, about voting. And I think we've already yeah. kind of blown that, uh, we, blown we, that up. Well, well, well <laughs> we, I think, I, I we, think we talked about it, but I'm thinking now that okay. they have laid a nice foundation. Yeah. The question is okay. now, should we, how, how involved, <laughs> well, no, not, not even that. Uh, let me just give it from this perspective. Coming from the Caribbean to the United States, going through the process of immigration, uh, becoming a citizen. I remember once I became a citizen, the first thing I did was I exercised my right to vote. I was excited about that. But here, here is where I, I kind of ran along the lines that everyone has been talking about. I, I jumped into the Democratic Party. I'll say that. But then now that I've been here a while and seen a number of elections and heard the situations, I'm seeing blacks on the Republican side. I'm seeing blacks on Democrat side. I'm seeing blacks as, as independents. Uh, I'm seeing different shapes, shades of folks doing all. How, how vested should we be in the political parties? And, and, um, and what, what would you, um, how could, how would you address um, how are we supposed to look at voting um, when these issues are coming up in our community? Anyway. Um, I, I, would, I would say that, uh, uh, number one, uh, you should definitely be involved in, in political parties uh, and look at each, but, but, I, but moreover, looking at each candidate and what they believe in as well. I'm a Democrat, uh, and I believe in the Democratic Party, um, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, uh, that I went to boarding school with, is very is very interesting about race identity politics. Most of my white friends that I went to Georgia Cumberland Academy with are all Republican, and they are not only Republican, but they are they are like the Donald Trump Republican, which are which are different than the regular Republicans. I call them Trump Trumpumpicans. That's what I call them, Trumpumpicans, and um, and and. But it is it is it is it is essential that you look at the political parties. The, the Republican Party, in my view, um, and I organize against them here in New Jersey because I believe that they are a party that um, that talks to racists, um, and, and and they are they are a party that talks to racists. I always say that I don't really care if you think you are racist, but what bothers me if the racists think you are racist. And and if and if the racists think you're a racist and they identify with you, then then you can say you like me all day long, but you're voting for people who would destroy my community. So uh, I do think that people should look at not all Republicans are bad and not at all, but I think you should look at each each candidate uh, that's running. But moreover, being get engaged, right? Get engaged. Churches churches need to get engaged. Uh, I just ran a program called Souls to the Polls uh, for the election, um, and we had over 140 churches uh, making phone calls to their members, making sure that they, I'm, I'm talking about to their members, making sure that they are registered, 
and making sure that they are voting. Because we, we our goal was 100% voter participation in our churches. Um, so I think that that's the main thing is engagement and, and making sure that people are registered in your churches, making sure that they have whole town hall meetings in the church. You know, these are specific recommendations. Whole town hall meetings. Invite people not just to come to Sabbath school, not just to come to AY, mm-hmm. but why don't you have an AY service? I, I, I'm sorry, I'm 51, so I called it AY, Anselm. I call it AY. Um, why don't we have... You didn't, at least you didn't Sabbath. call it MV. Yeah, MV, right. <laughs> why don't we have a Sabbath MV service on community responsibility, on voting, on Black Lives Matter, on things that will get people engaged? Um, because at the end of the day, it's about public policy. We talk about the Sunday Blue Law, the National Sunday Blue Law. We all, been, we all were raised on it. That's a public policy issue. Yes, yes, mm. yes. And I'm totally with Dr. Green... I want us even to go a step higher because we started this off saying that everything is politics. Everything is politics. The the streets you drive on, where your house is, where you work, everything comes down to politics. So I often encourage us to look at our Adventist past. Let's say James Childs. He was an he was a black Adventist lawyer in in Louisville, Kentucky, and he was advocating for black men who were me too back then, but on a false basis. They mm-hmm. looked funny at a white woman, or you know, mm-hmm. that's what that's what the alleged crime was. And he was defending, he was raising money, he was uh, uh, working for single mothers, he was working in connection with. Mary Britton, who was immortalized by Paul Lawrence Dunbar in a poem to help get rights for women, to help get suffrage uh, rights for blacks, you know, uh, the, the literacy laws. He was fighting against uh, neo-slavery in his day, but he, arg- he actually argued a case before the Supreme Court to desegregate railroads, which was a major form of transportation back then, okay? This is a black Adventist who actually mm-hmm. argued before the U.S. Supreme Court. Of course, we know about Irene Morgan, 10 years before Rosa Parks, she refused to get up from the bus when the cops came and app- apprehended her. Wow. She actually punched one of the cops in the, te- in the testicles. Okay, so she is, that, you know, that was, that was her political involvement, let's say, okay? That was the so Peter in her. In, she's wow. in jail. And she refuses to pay the fee for not not yielding, you know, to the law, what have you. And Thurgood Marshall argues her case. It goes all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's Irene Morgan versus Virginia, and it actually overturns interstate uh, segregation on, mm. on, on interstate public transportation. So I want to encourage Adventists to go beyond voting and start changing laws. Mm. Start start changing the unjust systems in your community. We are literally reaching for the lowest hanging fruit when we just say, oh, just go and and, and vote, you know, once a year, what have you, once every four years. Really mobilize, change laws, change systems. Listen to what Ellen White says, dear youth, what is the aim and purpose of your life? We Mm -hmm. often quote Ellen White when she says, uh, Jesus was not, was not engaged in politics, but we don't quote this as often. Are you ambitious for education that you may have a name and position in the world? 
have you thoughts that you dare not express, that you may mm. one day stand up on the summit of intellectual greatness, that you may sit in deliberative and legislative councils and help to enact laws for the nation. Mm. She says, mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong in these aspirations. There is nothing wrong in these aspirations. So all of you Adventists who think that we shouldn't be involved in politics, what do you say to that? What mm. do you say to that? She says, you may, every one of you, make your mark. You should be content with no mean attainments. Aim high and spare no pains to reach the standard. Wow. That's what Amen. Ellen White says. Wow. Amen. 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 Wow. Amen. <laughs> this, this, this show is, um, you know, every show that we get on, we say there needs to be a part two, right? <laughs> that's, that's been all in the um, chat today. And, and I tell you, it, this show has been engaging. Man, I wish we had more time because I'm still, I, I really want to get into oh, this up. theological framework. I'm not going to get into the question now, but this theological framework that we have and what, I know you said the DNA, uh, from our DNA, this is how we were, this is how we were, this is how we came up. But there seems to be some type of light uh, when we go to 1882 and in 1873 on some of the statements. In fact, even 1865 on what what one article says, the first official statement of the General Conference on voting. Right. So it seems to be my my seems to be a, a slight change. But then now we're back over here. So I would love this is what I got from some, you know, just research here. It says here, this is the president, George Butler. We hope every Seventh-day Adventist voter in the state will vote for this law, talking about prohibition. And here's the part, and induce others, right? <laughs> in other words, not, just don't vote, but I want you to get others to vote as well, right? What year so, was that? What year was that? This was 1882, the president of the General Conference, George Butler, who wrote an article in the Review. Yeah, and and, I, would, uh, I would have rather him, I would have rather him say, let's make sure that black women and men have the right to vote. Because, right, right. because during that time, uh, during that time, women did not have the right to vote. And if you were a black man, you were most likely lynched or you had to you had to um, abide by some black code that prevented you from voting. Right. And so and so here, here's one thing I want to say, and I'm glad he brought it up. It won't take too long. So the question I was going to ask after that question was, <laughs> do we pick and choose? what we want because i'm reading again here the first official statement and they're saying listen uh we ought not vote to strengthen crimes as intemperance insurrection and slavery mm. we regard as highly criminal in the sight of heaven right Mercy. so so the question i was going to ask is do we just pick and choose right when we had this certain surge from the administration to hey make your vote count do we pick and choose why didn't we choose this one why did we? and so that's the question i was going to come to you all to, to give me some enlightenment man dr but, henry uh, i am so glad that's the question that you were going to ask because this is the right. quote that i was going to read <laughs> and it follows up just on what dr what dr baker was talking about this yeah. is from temperance temperance page 253 and i know he's very familiar with it but she says this there is a cause for the moral paralysis upon society our laws dr baker was saying we need to change some laws our laws sustain an evil which is sapping their very foundations 
Many deplore mm. the wrongs which they know exist, but consider themselves free from all responsibility in the matter. This cannot be, she says. Every individual exerts an influence in society. What is that influence? She goes on to say, in our favored land, every voter has some voice in determining what laws shall control the nation. Should not that influence and that vote be cast on the side of temperance and virtue? Um, we, we, don't, we don't really have to wrestle and struggle with the question of voting. And to Dr. Baker's point, it's not just that voting is the, is, the, is the lower end. What about changing the laws? Why? Because we are a people, our theology teaches us that we are to make lives of the people around us better, both here and now as we are preparing them for the world to come. Um, and, sitting, and sitting in the seat like a Daniel, like an Esther, like running for office. We need more of our people to run for office so that we can sit at the table and, hey, be at the head of the table, right? So yeah. that these laws and these things can be changed. I love it. Wonderful, All right. wonderful. All right. Roger, what were you going to say? <laughs> hey, I, gotta... listen, I am, I'm so full right now, I just don't know what to say. Um, thank right. you well, um, to our guests for enlightening me today um i was i was at ephesus as um derek you shared um learned the history of ephesus learned the history of the united sabbath keeping church with jk humphreys and and yes. the politicalness behind that and and even as i compare that to what's happening today my eyes were still open today um dr baker and dr green and on on, on on our DNA and why we are so passive when it comes to making an impact um, on our politics.